What you're about to hear is a discussion about personal experience with cancer. We're not medical professionals, and at no point are we making recommendations for diagnosis, treatment, nor care. All opinions are highly personal as each individual experiences mental and physical side effects of cancer and cancer treatments differently. We're only here to listen, discuss, and break the social taboo of cancer. You haven't met Avery, correct? No. No, hey, what's up, Avery? Hey, how's it going, Danny? <laughs> Good. I like your fireplace. Um, It's fake, but it is, you know, keeping me warm a bit. My basement's really cold, so, yeah. I like that it's red fire. Never, that kind of told me it was it, fake, but. You can change it, I guess. Uh, that is, uh, let's oh. oh, there, we got blue. <laughs> And we got pink and blue. I, so I don't Tra- know. That makes it really fake <laughs> yeah. when it's the blue flame. <laughs> or, or it looks like a toxic fire at that point. If it was blue. Yeah. <laughs> I got it. Well, I do like live streaming. So I got it for that. And oh, know, that's good. it's like energy efficient and stuff too. So I don't, don't have to spend a lot of money on staying warm. Yeah. <laughs> That. I don't know. I think I like this blue pink thing better. It's, yes. it's a little Yeah, I know. It's kind of fun. <laughs> it's tranquil. Yeah. Um so Avery is Des's partner um and he was Des's partner um throughout the entire process that she went through like before and after. So we just thought it would be great to bring him on. He jumps onto podcasts whenever he can. Kind of gives that other side of the perspective. Cool. Um, so we kind of like to just jump right in because we dive into so many different elements of this conversation anyway. Um, so could you maybe just tell us a little bit about uh, what type of cancer you had and when you were diagnosed? Yeah, for sure. Um, well, my name is Danny and uh, I was diagnosed when I was 33 years old with uh, uh, pure seminoma uh, testicular cancer. Um, which was in stage one. So uh, I'm 34 now. Um, 33 years old is actually the the average age of getting diagnosed with testicular cancer. So when people, you know, or when I try to think about like, oh, why did I get cancer? Um, I guess the most obvious answer is that I'm 33 years old and I have testicles, you know? So that is like... You know, I like it wasn't the vaccine or keeping my phone in my pocket or any of those things. It probably really is just a result of of my identity in that sense. Um, you know, so yeah, diagnosed when I was thirty three. Uh, about two weeks after being diagnosed, I got an orchidectomy, which is um, the removal of the the tumor. Um, uh, which in this case is was my testicle, um, which is, you know, one of the awkward things about telling people about this is like, yeah, we have to talk about like body parts that are not normally polite to talk about. Um, so, yeah. Um, and we want to kind of like take it step by step because we really are interested about every element of it. Um, so before we get into the, the treatment, could you tell us about uh, how did you even start to think that you might have cancer? What were some of the signs that led you to even get it checked out? Yeah. I mean, it was really just like self-examination, um, which I definitely encourage people to do, you know, like, uh, to, you know, check them if you got them. And, um, I just felt 
a lump and you know i'm like oh that's weird a day later i'm like it's not going away it doesn't seem normal so i called the doctor and got an appointment they said like oh well can we see you like this evening and i'm like oh my goodness yeah um like many uh people in ontario or canada like i didn't i don't have a family doctor that's like local to where i am so luckily i have one at all and i was able to make the drive um to where i needed to go and and they said that you know they they took some tests and and all of that and and a couple days later i got the the bad news that like hey it's probably not a cyst so we're referring you to a specialist and like they will take it from there so that was obviously very like nerve-wracking um being referred to as a specialist is not what you want to hear uh, most of the time but i was really lucky too that my uh one of my family members worked in the hospital where i would receive care so they were um able to help me navigate through which can be kind of like a confusing system mm -hmm. so that first so do you live a little bit outside of a city like what's the reason that your family doctor is not close to you yeah i mean i grew up in mississauga and i live now in peterborough ontario mm -hmm. um peterborough is kind of infamous for for having not a great uh access to having a family health team um, but, uh, because my, my, like, uh, as I said, I have family members who work in healthcare in Mississauga. Um, and I've been part of a family health team there for, for my whole life. Um, I, I was able to, to access care. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. I think the statistic now is like, uh, I don't know, is it like 20% of folks in Canada do, don't have like a family doctor or a family healthcare team. Um, so it's, it can be really difficult because, that really is your way to access all of those other services. Um, you need someone to kind of advocate for you to like go and see a specialist. Um, and it can be really hard to, to navigate without having those uh, point of contact. I really didn't know that that was the statistic, but in our first conversation with, which was actually just uh, Des, Avery and myself, we were talking about how just within our friend groups, we've noticed that people don't necessarily have family doctors. It's usually just kind of like a walk-in clinic, wherever you happen to be. So now it's making me want to deep dive into the statistics of why, why that even happens. Like, why don't we have family doctors? Because what was the test that you're, um, so I just want to understand. So you had a zoom call with your family doctor and they told you to come in. Um, no, so I I, uh, I I called over the phone, yeah, and I said I needed to make an appointment for that reason, mm -hmm. and they said, okay, come in. Like, I guess because of the potential nature of, like, cancer and them wanting to to address things as quickly as possible, um, they said, okay, come in today. And literally, like, it was, like, a week or two after that, it was like, oh, I'm getting surgery. Yeah. Yeah, so what were they able to do when you did come in that day? What were the tests that they ran? Yeah, I'm trying to remember. It was definitely like physical examination and um, just confirming that what I was seeing, like they were also able to see. And um, I think I, I forget if it was an ultrasound, um, but I think I, I think they they took a scan of some sort. And yeah, they 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 said that it pro it wasn't a cyst. And I think those common for women and men actually cysts and i think they can be mm -hmm. like a scary indicator something's going on but you if it is a cyst you want the cyst because those can be removed they can go away on their own so yeah mm -hmm. 
So then from there, um, that's when they were like, you should go see a specialist. Yeah. They said, go see a specialist. So I saw a urologist. Um, and, uh, again, lucky that my, my family kind of worked in that hospital and, um, you know, they were really nice. One thing that was kind of shocking though, is that I didn't really understand that what we were talking about was cancer at the time. Like nobody was using the C word, um, which was kind of just like shocking. Like I, I didn't know what it was. Like, is it a tumor? Is it a growth? Is it just what is cancer really? And then like the definition of cancer is just like cells that have like mutated irregularly or whatever. And I didn't actually know that what I had was cancer until after the surgery was done. Wow. Nobody, nobody explained it to me in those terms. Um, I think because maybe they were using like so much medical jargon or saying like, Oh, saying like, this is, Oh, this is pure seminoma. Instead of saying that this is pure seminoma, like cancer. I'm like, and I didn't really understand that that's what I was going through at the time. Cause things were like really just like happening so fast. And I knew, um, that, you know, this is like obviously something that I didn't want to like, just like let linger. Um, so it was very kind of like shocking to me that, uh, I'm like, oh my God, I'm going through cancer. It was even, I had like a day where like I had to like, I was processing everything, but then there was another day where I was like, oh, I'm processing having cancer specifically because putting it in those terms, you know, like, because, uh, we kind of like have a stigmatized view of like what, what cancer is and like that people are going through it. And then maybe in a way I was in denial that like, I, that I wasn't suffering from something that, that monumental. So yeah, that was kind of a, a weird part of the process. Yeah. I definitely had a very similar experience too, because it was like, specifically on the day that I found out, like the doctor came in and she did use the word cancer, but there was just so many other big terms in that delivery that I was just like, A, in shock and B, like, what does all of this stuff mean? Right. So you're kind of just left in this limbo. But I think what's interesting too, is that like, no one is there to tell you like what your life is going to look like from now on. Right. It's like, you just have to kind of figure that out and like, whatever your Um, method of doing that is whether it's like going down the Google (laughs) spiral or like trying to research or whatever. Um, What was that kind of like for you? Like, did you reach, go beyond kind of the hospital system to like look for information? For sure. There was like several times when I would refer to like Google or whatever Mayo Clinic, whatever those like top uh, search results that you get. Um, because, I mean, doctors, they don't have a lot of time for you, unfortunately. And, you know, especially the whole medical system is 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 kind of stressed and cancer doctors, that includes them, um, you know. Um, so they really don't have much time to, like, sit you through everything and tell you what your life is going to be about. Luckily, I think they are, like, really very positive. And for my case, because I had a very survivable form of cancer they were like don't worry everything's going to be okay you'll be fine even if it spreads yada 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 you'll be fine there's treatment and like it was always kind of like oh okay things are going to be okay but then when you're going through um some of the things like it's absolute uh uh hell 
Um, so, uh, for example, um, you know, the, the testicular cancer that I had spread to my lymph nodes and that meant that in addition to getting the surgery, which they thought would prevent it from spreading, um, I had to go through chemotherapy and as a result of one of the chemo drugs that I was receiving, I ended up getting, um, I forget what it's called, but it's like basically kind of like marks all over my body and especially on my back that it make it look like I've received um, lashings essentially. And it's, it's named accordingly. Like it looks like I have like, it looks like I was literally like whipped, you know, like, and that's how these markings present. And, you know, I asked the doctor about it and there was just kind of like, ah, it's nothing to worry about. And it and I, 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 it was actually my mom. Uh, I was like, Hey mom, like look at these weird markings. And she was able to successfully figure out what it was by Googling it. Um, and I'm like, and luckily it's like, Oh, they, and they go away once the, once the treatment has stopped, I still have them, but I'm, you know, I'm confident that they will go away. And it was just like such a sigh of relief to know like, okay, this is normal because of the drug I was receiving and it will go away, you know, but that was more information than the doctor had capacity to kind of like tell me about at the time, you know, which is like, you know, it's kind of weird. It's like, what would you even do before Google where at least we do have this like access to, to, some of these questions that we have and that they can be answered like almost immediately. But, um, you know, in many cases, maybe, maybe people don't have that it, even just like older folks who don't aren't like internet savvy, like maybe they won't have be able to, to have their answers so quickly. Yeah. It's, it's interesting too, because you definitely need to have some sort of like self-regulation. I think when you go down the internet path, because you, it's so easy to just go yeah. down like a really dark rabbit hole. And I think everyone probably does that, that uses the internet. Um, but, but at for the same sure. time, like it can be amazing for like helping you figure things out and like just connecting with people that might be going through a similar weird back marking situation as you, you know, but <laughs> yeah. that's interesting. Did those, did those hurt? I'm like so curious about that. No, that's the thing. They didn't hurt yeah. at all. And uh, my my partner was even just like, did you scratch yourself like really hard because you have all of these like what look to be like scars on your back? And like there was no other explanation for them, right? It was like, am I doing something in my sleep where I'm like screw like just clawing at my back or something? Like uh, we were trying to just explain it, right? And we had no explanation. So, um, and yeah, it was it's really weird because I'm sure as many cancer survivors uh can relate to like when you post about your 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 experience did you say hey i'm going for chemotherapy or something which in my case has like a super high success rate like 95 percent success rate um you will get those like automated bots or even maybe people that you know who will say hey don't do chemo you should be able to cure this (laughs) with like coconut oil And it's just like, I really wish I could, like, I wish I could just take some coconut oil or whatever and like find and like cure myself of this and not have to go through chemotherapy. But you know what? Like, I feel like I should probably listen to my oncologist and do the, do the treatment that is 95% success. And, you know, I had someone else who I had met when I was like backpacking and they were like, 
They were literally just like, F chemotherapy, bro. Like, you need to go to the jungle and like let nature heal you. <laughs> and you know, I'm like, I wish. Like, I'm literally in like no state to like go to the jungle. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I'm gonna go to the jungle and like get COVID on the flight and malaria in from a mosquito bite, and then I'll be also have cancer still. And like oh, wow. <laughs> it's, it's like, you know, so I it it's obviously you can't rely entirely on the internet or the advice of people who are not your doctor, you know? Um, and it was, is kind of like comical to see, hear some of those responses. Um, and you know what? Like, I, I don't even want to like underestimate the healing power of nature. Like I do believe in that. And I think it should be part of people's like healing process, you know, like, and, and whatever. But also, you know, I, I, I didn't, chemo was awful. I wouldn't, you know, go through it unless i had to and and i think obviously everyone who's going through it like feels that way yeah and i think it's really easy for people to say who don't have cancer to not do chemotherapy so <laughs> yeah you know like and then also it was it's 95 percent success and if i don't do it it could yeah. spread and it could be worse and i could end up doing really harder versions of chemo in the future or straight up dying you know so I feel like there's so much to unpack <laughs> and I want to really understand all the steps because um, we just want to understand how exactly you went through all the different steps and what your support system is. Cause you mentioned your mom, you also mentioned your family in the healthcare network. Um, so basically like once you had your surgery, like I just want to take it back a little bit. So they were like, you have to go into surgery and yeah. am I correct? If this timeline was like two years, was this in the middle of COVID? So, yeah, this was in January, I guess, 2022. Mm -hmm. Really like starting, it was like the new year, new me vibes. And then it was like, oh God, I have cancer. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, yeah. So this is all going on during COVID. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So were you able to have people with you like, when you had that conversation with your doctors where they kept just saying things without using the word cancer, where you were like basically confused as to what they were saying, were you there by yourself or did you get to have somebody else there to help you process that? Yeah, luckily, like my uh, partner, my wife and my my mom are were pretty adamant about coming with me. I was like, no, I'll be fine. But my mom's like, you need to have someone there, like even just to take notes and whatever so and i'm you know i'm so glad i did so i did have the support of uh my family that's amazing and i because i know what, one of the things that avery was saying when he was in the room with des when she was getting um all the information it was like she couldn't even physically process what was being said and he was there to almost be like a recording device of like okay at least this is what they said and we can find that out after so it's so useful to have yeah emotionally like not to mention, but just for the actual facts that you were receiving. Um, because then they basically told you, so you had your surgery, they told you it was cancerous. And so wh which lymph nodes did it spread to? Was it in your abdomen? Where did it spread? Yeah. So, you know, I, I thought that was the end of the story when after surgery, right. Um, but then I kept on having some kind of pain in my abdomen. Um, there were times when I felt like the scar from the surgery was also hurting and um yeah you go for your regular kind of like scans so i got a ct scan and they said your lymph nodes are 
swelled bigger than they should be, which meant that the cancer has basically uh, presented itself um, and that I would have to go through chemotherapy. So again, it was one of those things where it's like, okay, get the scan on Wednesday, talk to the doctor on Monday. And then like the Monday after that, we're starting chemotherapy. It was just like, okay, you have cancer and you're getting treatment now. Like, which in a way I'm, I'm kind of grateful for, cause I had the option to be like, Oh, you could wait another week. And I, it was just like, well, it's not like I'm going to have like the best week of my life. It'll just be like more time of me like stressing about yeah. it. Right. So I kind of just chose to, to get it over with as soon as, as possible. Um, do you feel like because it was so fast, like, do you feel like you were kind of processing things in real time or do you feel like that all kind of came after? Yeah. Um, I, I think, yeah, the whole time, honestly, it was, I think actually leading up to it is, is almost like more nerve wracking. I find, mm-hmm. um, because you're just like uncertain about um, what's going to happen. And when I was going through chemotherapy, I literally just like felt so bad that I felt, I didn't even have time to like consider <laughs> the the options almost. Um, I just felt like I couldn't do anything else other than like lie in bed and, and watch, look at my phone. Um, so as I said, I like, I am a live streamer. So I had just kind of like, decided in uh, September that I would like go hard into like live streaming and content creation. And, um, I actually, the day I I heard the news that my tests had come back, um, badly, um, I had interviewed the mayor of Peterborough on my show and it was kind of like this great day. And then I got this horrible phone call as well. Um, so I ended up changing the kind of topic of my live stream, at least for then. And I, I like shaved my head on stream and I had a video just saying that like, this is what I'm going through. Um, so I think in that sense too, being able to like present it and share it, um, it helped me, um, process what I was going through. And it also like, I had a lot of support, Um, you know, I'm sure like a lot of people, they have a GoFundMe or something like I already had all of those things set up kind of, cause I was like, you know, donate to my stream or support my stream. And, and I kind of just like raised the goal and was like, Oh my God, you know, um, like I'm not going to be able to do most of my work during this time. And, and my partner has to take time away from work as well. So like it kind of was really lucky that I kind of already had those those supports ways to support set up and then people can could join really easily um were you so were you able to receive your chemo a little bit closer to home or did you have to go from peterborough to mississauga so yeah actually i was really lucky that for the type of cancer that i had i could get it treated in peterborough um they do have a a hospital very like 10 minutes from my home and um the, the cancer ward there was just like really fantastic. And, um, I do feel so lucky because there's sometimes when you have to go like five times a week to the hospital or even more. Um, and I felt like just not having to drive to, uh, Toronto or, or Kingston, which I've heard like other people do have to do from Peterborough, um, made it so much easier, not just on myself, but on, on the supporters, like my wife, you know, um, 
the fact that she didn't have to do all this additional driving was really uh, great for us. What, uh, what were you doing uh, for work like at this time? Were, were you had just started doing content creation. Were you doing anything else? Yeah. So content creation, it doesn't pay very well when you first start <laughs> at least. Um, so, um, you know, I have a bunch of kind of like, I'm basically like a jack of all trades person. Um, I, I own my own business where, um, we make newspaper content like crosswords and puzzles and stuff. And, um, and, um, I also work for like a local theater is where I do all the booking, um, and, and, and put on, help people organize shows. And I work for the local student newspaper where, um, you know, I help them manage their, the business side of their stuff. And I, I, I edit, or I, I designed their website. And so really just, I'm the, I'm basically kind of just a creative person who is for hire. Um, you know, I've been like an artist and an activist, for a lot of my life and and I was kind of able to pick up some of these skills as I went along um and and I guess people in the community trust me enough to 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 employ me for like these really kind of odd jobs <laughs> but um yeah and since since recovering from cancer I've been able to basically pick up all of those things um where they left off so they've been really supportive um to to me and and be working all those odd jobs also allows me to pursue what i want to do um which is just like be the content creator guy so yeah i'm just wondering like you know financially this impacts people in so many different ways and you know knowing that you have a partner in, in your wife and that she was able to help was that like a big stress on your mind once i know you're saying like you don't know what the journey is going to be once you're in the diagnosis and then even in the treatment how did you prepare for that? Like with your wife? Yeah. I mean, my wife took time away from, from work. Uh, she works as a teacher, um, with, with little ones. And, you know, this was a time too, when like COVID was particularly bad, this, uh, not even just COVID, but like, you know, they're calling it like respiratory season now. And so like, I started chemo in, the beginning of October and it was honestly pretty terrifying. So my, my wife did feel as though she had to step away from work because as you probably know, anyone with kids during this respiratory season was basically like getting COVID or I forget what the other respiratory things, the flu and, and there was something else going around that I can't remember the name of right now. Um, and when you have chemo, obviously you have like a weakened immune system. So your body can't really, um, fight any of those things. So, um, my wife did step away from work and luckily, um, the health team that was responsible for my cancer care was able to sign off for her to get half of her salary, um, covered. I think it's called, um, caretakers leave, which is like a program through unemployment insurance or employment insurance. So luckily, um, between having that and I was able to, to keep the puzzles going, not the rest of my jobs, but I was able to keep that going. And cause I mean, there's no one else to do it. It's literally like my own business. So, um, between those two things and, uh, and a GoFundMe type thing, um, 
we were able to just like not have to worry about it financially. And honestly, that is like such a huge privilege. Uh, you know, the fact that I had a community that was able to support me, like mm -hmm. I, I, I can't imagine what it would be like to go through that. Um, on your own, whether you like, you didn't have the direct, direct support of family and friends, or even the financial support of, of a community. Mm -hmm. So. Um, I'm interested. That's really interesting. This kind of angle that you had like a community of people through your live streaming and, and things that you do online. Did you, um, I guess I'm just curious, like how much you engaged with them about your like cancer journey did you did you connect with anyone um kind of like through that or or talk to anyone about it or did you just kind of post things and and talk about it on your live stream yeah so like i guess the when i started live streaming which was literally the week when i got diagnosed the uh, the first time I had my first live stream on like a Monday morning. I got diagnosed with cancer and had surgery like the next on like Thursday. And then I had my second live stream on like the following Monday because I felt like it was something that I've been wanting to do for so long. And cancer was kind of just like, you better do it while you yeah. can. You know, it was like, it kind of like made me realize that like I wanted to pursue um, something and, um, yeah, so I, I have been like pretty much open since the first day of, of live streaming and, and, um, I haven't really, I don't think there's literally anything that I've had to censor myself about saying, even to the point of like a lot of my friends coming and making like, you know, testicle jokes or whatever, like <laughs> on my stream, which I do appreciate. I do, you know, I try to keep a good sense of humor about the full, the whole thing. So, yeah. So h humor aside during that period, like once you, once you had the surgery, like it just, even, you know, we've spoke to someone else who had testicular cancer and it's, it seems like it's so fast from diagnosis to surgery and then to chemo and treatment that it's, it's a lot for you to take in. I'm, I'm just wondering like how you were dealing with it at the point of the chemotherapy. Was it starting to settle in that there was going to be some changes to your life um, in regards to maybe things like fertility, hormones, were any of those things starting to come across at that point? Um, yeah, for sure. Like obviously it is something that kind of like changes your relationship with your body. So um, definitely uh, when I first got um, the orchidectomy, my testicle removed, I did donate to a sperm bank at that point um, because my partner and I still plan to have children. And, um, you know, we there's an uncertainty, um, like things could go wrong in the surgery or whatever, or even just having testicular cancel cancer in one testicle, you're more at risk of having it in the other testicle as well. So, um, and, and also during chemo, you know, um, I don't know the exact medical term for it. I just say that, you know, my, my sperm is basically like radioactive or whatever during that time. So you don't want to have a child, um, using that sperm that could be influenced by, um, the, the chemo drugs. So they, they suggest to wait even like a year, 
um, at, or two even after you've had chemo if you're planning to have a, a child. So yeah, that's definitely been something um, that has affected our lives potentially. Honestly, the economy probably is affecting us having children more than um, any of the the physical reasons. Um, you know, so yeah, relatable, <laughs> relatable, right? Um, and, you know, I guess luckily for me as well, like, um, you know, with the removal of a testicle, like everything still works normally uh, from a sexual standpoint. So um, it, it's it's crazy to think about, but I guess that's why you have to, um, uh, you know, one, you, all you need is one. You can produce almost the exact same amount of, of sperm it's like it's like when one of the players on your team is injured like the other teammates have to kind of <laughs> they have to pick it up if they still want to win the championship or whatever. the championship of children yeah that's right yes it's interesting yeah. that there's even two to begin with because it's like i guess it's for this reason it's like if one gets damaged or something it's like there's a backup is that why <laughs> I don't know. We got, yeah, I guess so. we have two of everything really like, yeah. So maybe, maybe that's an evolutionary yeah. thing. Yeah. Wow. We do have a lot of twos. Yeah. <laughs> We're all like our eyes, our no <laughs> nostrils, ears. Yeah. My feet. I have 10 toes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so after the chemotherapy did you 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 had to do a sperm test to determine whether or not your other testicle was still producing sperm um i guess i ha- i i actually haven't been tested for that um you know i i guess if we were trying to conceive through that method i probably would get tested ahead of time um, just to make sure that my sperm is like one that it's there and two that it's like healthy. So, um, be, and also keeping your sperm in a sperm bank is expensive. Um, it's, it becomes a yearly expense, um, after, after the original deposit. So, um, you know, once we have kids or whatever, I would probably can't cancel, cancel my subscription. <laughs> we have the same thing. I have like eggs frozen and every year I get the bill and I'm like, Oh, I got to pay for these kids. <laughs> I got to pay for these kids. Already. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Already paying for yeah. these kids. Yeah, childcare is really expensive. Like from before you have children. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, how long was your overall treatment, like the chemo treatment? Um, so I think it was about, it was supposed to be nine weeks, but it ended up f- being like three months. Mm. Um, so it was like three cycles of chemotherapy. Each cycle is three weeks, or at least for what I had. I, I know chemotherapy is different for everyone. You get different drugs and there's different timelines. Um but uh, it honestly felt like three months, especially because once you're finished, you're still feeling the effects and it takes you like a month even after to like feel back to normal. Um, so yeah, it was, and also there were, there were times when my white blood cell count was so low, I was uh, basically unable to receive treatment. So there were like entire weeks that were like, okay, we're, we're waiting till next week. One week I was even uh, hospitalized because, um, 
when your white blood cell count is so low, you're at risk of uh, infection. Um, I believe it's called neutropenia. Um, basically, when your neutrophil count, I didn't know any of this language. Neutrophils are like a type of white blood cell, uh, I think. <laughs> um, and basically, you're basically really at risk for infection. So I had to go to the hospital. I spent four nights in the hospital. This was during, you know, respiratory season. It was pretty awful. The emergency room was was packed. Um, it took me like two days to like get an actual hospital bed. Um, and basically, they were running an IV with, um, what do you call it? Antibiotics every every kind of couple of hours to prevent me from getting i don't know infected with like literally anything like your body is producing bacteria all the time and then suddenly your body can't even like fight off your own body um you know so it it was uh amazing how much you take for granted all the little things that your body does you don't even realize on a microscopic level. It's crazy. I remember that exact same thing because I had the same thing. There was a couple weeks that I I missed my chemo for the same reason, which is so frustrating because like I feel like you have a timeline in your head of when it's gonna be over and you're like wanna make plans and yeah. just like, you know, get your life back. And then it's just delayed, delayed, delayed. I, I just remember that being so frustrating. But I remember like the things that I would do to avoid getting some sort of infection. Like I live with roommates. We have, we, me and Avery live together and then we have like another couple we live with. And I like, wouldn't like do the dishes. I wouldn't load the dishwasher. Cause I was like scared to touch someone's like fork. If like they had some sort of sickness, you know, it's just crazy. All the like little things you do to kind of limit yourself and, and then realize that you're really like kind of in like a cage, you know, that's how it felt for me at least. Yeah, no, same here. Like, I literally, uh, we didn't really entertain any guests or anything during that time. Uh, my mom came, uh, my wife's sisters came to visit. Um, but other than that, um, we really just kind of kept a super tight ship. Obviously, with COVID and everything else, um, you, you, I, I did kind of. De- develop a lot of sympathy for people who have been immunocompromised since the beginning of the pandemic. It was like, oh, and like, because suddenly you are immunocompromised and you realize what it's like uh, for people who have been living like this and and why taking all those COVID precautions was so important and how now that we've stopped taking them, um, you know, how basically, yeah, you are, you are putting people who are immunocompromised like back into that, into that cage. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I definitely have so much sympathy. Um, one thing when I was neutropenic, I was really craving a healthy salad because I was not eating healthy and my wife made a salad and she's like, I don't think I should be serving you this. And I just like ate it up. And then she's like, Google what you're allowed to eat when you're neutropenic. And the first thing is like, don't eat fresh vegetables, (laughs) like fresh uncooked vegetables. And I'm like, this is the healthiest thing I feel like I've eaten in weeks and um like it literally could like kill me so luckily i was okay um and it's again just one of those weird things that like what you think is healthy even has kind of now like completely changed and we also we also were lucky because um 
my my wife's sister and my brother-in-law they bought us like really high quality air filters so that when people like my mom and other family members did visit um we felt as though we were kind of taking as much precaution as possible um you know and and air filtration is one of those things where like the government should have invested more in when it ter- in terms of like fighting covid in, in public spaces you know like i think we emphasize the vaccines so mm-hmm. much um obviously um not everyone got the vaccines and it's harder and harder to get people to keep up with it but like masks and 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 air filters like they they work and um they're really easy easy to use but sadly um, I feel like the the education around, especially air, air filters, was like non-existent, you know, and and there was maybe it was because of it costs more money than telling people to wear a mask. Mm-hmm. You brought up something interesting about all these lifestyle changes that you had to make, um, and how you were craving healthy foods but couldn't have them when you first got your diagnosis. Like, did any changes happen right away? Did you start? eating healthier or thinking about things. I know Desiree and I, me in particular, I went on a crazy uh, house cleanup of just different, you know, sugars and things that I felt like we didn't need anymore. And that I thought maybe would be uh, counterintuitive to her recovery. Was there any changes that you made? Um, I guess, you know, I, I felt like I was really trying really hard to lose weight before I got the diagnosis that my cancer had spread. And then the doctor was like, have you noticed that you've like lost a lot of weight recently? And I was like, yeah, but I've been trying to lose weight and I thought I was doing a really good job, but it might've just been cause I had cancer. Um, so I would thought I was like patting myself on the back for working so hard. And then maybe it was actually just, I was on that cancer weight loss program, but, um, in terms of like going through chemo, one thing I went through is just like these mad cravings. Mm -hmm. Like suddenly I was just like, if I was craving Mac and cheese, like I couldn't eat anything else. If I was crazy craving chili, I couldn't eat anything else, which was really, I think annoying for my, my wife because it was basically like same day cravings. It was not even like, Oh, I think I'm going to want this tomorrow. It was like, I want this and I want it now. And all, and also anything else is like unappealing, <laughs> like be, because I don't know why really, but I, I did look at Reddit and there was uh, a lot of people saying a similar thing where like they were craving in some cases, like really unhealthy food. Like some days, like just like a bag full of candy, that's all they wanted and you know um my thing too was like red meat which not the not the healthiest not the thing that's like gonna help you fight cancer not the thing that's good for the environment either and it was like so if anything my lifestyle choices like they got worse (laughs) um because it it's suddenly just came about like what i want in a very selfish way because I'm the one who's like suffering from all of this, which I think is perfectly okay. You know, I would never say like, it's, it's not the time where you're like, I need to think of global warming. <laughs> it's like, I need to be thinking of myself and like, whatever I want. I'm trying to like prioritize those things. Yeah. And I think at a certain point, it's like, as long as you're just eating and if you can find a little bit of joy in those moments, like 
take right yeah um you mentioned that you you were looking at reddit for some of that information uh what are some of the other spaces especially because you're so involved in the online community i'm really curious to know where you were doing your research and what you found useful either in you know treatment or health choices or even just people that are going through a similar thing yeah i mean reddit is good because like you get so many other people's opinions um and there were some really great threads out there for when i was just like what is it going to be like going through this specific treatment um which was like it's my treatment was a bep chemo regiment i guess maybe for anyone out there who might be listening maybe they've gone through that and it was really good just to hear other people's uh, experiences especially you know a very nerve-wracking moment when it's like oh i'm finally getting the news like whether the treatment was successful or not and just you know going on reddit and looking and like oh wow so many people have gotten good news at the end of this treatment is it, it was like re- very comforting and um it's so hard right because like it's not like you can just find a community of people like locally who have all gone through this um uh or it can be really hard to um so yeah i would say you know like reddit youtube and tw- twitter I went to for support, not for, you know, science. (laughs) That's where the person is like, hey, get the coconut oil. You don't do chemo, do coconut oil. Um, And, you know, Instagram and Facebook, that's like obviously just a great way to get the support. Maybe not necessarily information, but, but feeling supported. Yeah. What did you find to be the most um, helpful in terms of support? Was it online communities was it something that you were doing like in person with people i'm just curious to know what now in hindsight when you're like that was really helpful or if there was things that you maybe now realize you should have done differently or would have wanted to have done differently yeah honestly the the thing that you'll get the most is like are you okay and (laughs) and like that just question like hey i'm thinking of you are you okay and it's literally like three months of your life where like you're literally not okay so to 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 be getting this question from people all the time i'm like no i'm not okay like what do you want me to say like i know you want to feel better but i feel like shit and i'm not okay you know so i i I found one of the most helpful things is and and it's you know of course it's hard i don't like blame any of those people but um it's hard to know how to support the best way to support now i think is to just take action without even without even asking and and like i had some friends who were like hey i'm sending you this like mushroom blend that is like good for your immune system and it's known to fight cancer and they just sent it without asking like hey are you okay? Can I do this for you? Can I do this? Can I do that? And instead of kind of like asking, which I didn't really have capacity to, to, to answer at the time. So I felt really great. Another friend, um, just as what was like, I'm making you bone broth and I'm like delivering it, leaving it at your door and it's there when you want it, you can keep it in the freezer and use it anytime you want. Like that was super helpful. Um, my, my partner is friends of uh, a, a community here in Peterborough, which is the New Canadian Center. 
um, because my wife is from the U.S., so she's worked with this um, organization to help with uh, her immigration to Canada, and they organized uh, something where, like, it was a food, um, kind of like helping cook one meal a week and just like delivering it. So they would all just like take turns, and like every week, someone would would make a meal for the both of us, which is great because I'm sure my wife was tired of cooking. And even if I couldn't eat it, then like my wife could eat it. And that would save us that, um, trouble, you know, of like trying to find food and stuff. So I found like that all those direct actions, um, and were things that like impacted me and us the most when we were, when we were getting through it. Yes, That's not people saying, are you okay? <laughs> <Is that your laughs> yeah, I have to tell my sister. Yeah. <laughs> like, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I had to tell my sister. I'm like, can you please stop asking if I'm okay? Because like, I'm not okay. If you could just be like, what are you up to? And be like, I'm watching anime right now. Or I'm playing video games. Or I'm like lying in bed feeling horrible you know like I, I it was easier to just say like hey this is what i'm doing than like this is how i'm feeling because i was feeling horrible mm -hmm. is there any like things that you did for yourself that kind of helped you get through it like for me personally i i bought a nintendo switch because i was like i think i'm going to be spending a lot of time just hanging out and I started playing, I'm not really like a video game person, but I was like, I don't know. People are talking about like animal crossing all the time. I guess I'll try it. And it literally like saved my life. Like I just played so much animal crossing. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah, honestly, same video games were such a great way to keep your mind off of uh, the nausea that comes with chemo. There was literally a moment when I stopped gaming um, I think I was playing Civilization, which is like a, a turn-based strategy game. And I'm just like, all right, I should probably stop now. And I put the my laptop away. And then I literally like went to the washroom and like threw up. And I was like, I guess I should have kept gaming. Because it was like, it keeps your mind like off of like how sick you actually are. And um, there were times when I didn't feel well enough to even game. Like I could only watch TV shows. But... Um, gaming, especially just because it immerses you in like a different reality. It's a form of escapism kind of, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, we all escape and yeah, it totally, totally helped me. I, I had some friends too, as you can see in the background of the video here, I've got some, I'm a, the proud owner of some video games. Um, and yeah, a bunch of friends like lent, lent me games as well because they knew I was going through it. That's so. nice. That's such a nice, like personalized way to support you. Yeah, it is really great. I'm still playing their games that they lent <laughs> me, even though I'm recovered. So they're like, give it back. You know. I want the game back now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I I definitely will give them back, though, so, you know. Nice. Did you do any additional research or ask any additional questions as to why you might have gotten cancer? I know at the beginning you said you were like that specific age group that was most likely to be diagnosed at that time. But was there any sort of genetic testing or, or any other testing that they suggested to do? Um, yeah, I mean, I was shocked because like my dad 
is not someone who suffered from testicular cancer. Like, I, it's not in my family history at all. So, I mean, sadly, like, when you try to kind of look for research about why, uh, at least for my particular cancer, like, there's not much, um, you know, and I think it's kind of just like our human nature. Like, we want answers as to why. And, um, you know, I don't really have... Again, like I said, those answers other than being um, a 33-year-old man, you know, um, I know that there is some data about like if you're a white person, a white man, then you're more at risk of having testicular cancer. If it's in your family history or if you've already had testicular cancer, then you're likely to get it again. Like those were basically the main three things um as to why um and they don't even know why it's more common in 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 white men um and then just i guess for for clarity there like i am like half white and half asian so um why i couldn't have inherited those asian genes that are less likely to get testicular cancer i don't know but roll the dice yeah. You did mention that they gave you um, some medication. Was it throughout chemo or after the fact to deal with some of the side effects? Yeah. So they give you a lot of medication. Most of it is to deal with managing the nausea. Mm-hmm. Um, and you also, I also got an injection. Thank goodness this injection was covered by home care. Um, which I was receiving because they had to like come to my house and give me the injection. It was like a $1,500 needle that um, basically helps to stimulate the process that makes white blood cells. Um, so I, 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 I had to get that and, you know, take my nausea medicines uh, on the days where I'm receiving chemo or, at the recommended dosage, mm-hmm. yeah. And what was the medication that you mentioned left you with like that scarring on your back? What was that for? Right. So that was that was part that was one of the chemo drugs. Mm-hmm. So um BEP uh chemo. The B is for bleomycin. Mm-hmm. Um and that is the that was the drug that creates those uh whiplashes or whatever they're called um the other ones in the bep are etoposide and the p is for um i I guess it's like platinum Mm -hmm. but i think it also has another another name so yeah i hate all of those drugs i hate them so much (laughs) yeah they're definitely not fun (laughs) Yeah, they're not fun at all. Um, the bleomycin, I only got for like 10 minutes a week. Um, and it's this very small bag. But for some reason, through some days, some weeks, I only had to get that 10 minutes of chemo. And it would like destroy me. I think the smaller, um, it's like probably because it's more potent, right? So it's just like a smaller amount, but like super potent. Yeah. I, I I don't even know, but mine was, mine was um so I had I had to do mine was a little bit lighter because I had just stage one breast cancer. So my chemo was a little bit lighter. It was called Taxol and it was once a week for like I think there was like twelve rounds. 
Um, but it was like a huge bag. Like it would take like 45 minutes or something to like go through. So I guess, cause it was like a little less yeah. potent. I don't know. Yeah. I'm t- same. I guess I had the one that it top aside, um, where they're like, are you ready for like the big gulp? <laughs> That's like, I remember the first time I got it, I was like, oh my God, that's huge. Like, I don't know how I could even have that much like water in my body, let alone that much like drug. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I had the Atoposide, I think was like an hour. The Platinum was um, half an hour and the Bleomycin was 10 minutes. And I would have to get all of those drugs on different uh, schedules. And yeah. Did they give you one of those ports? We've learned from a couple people, including Des, that they gave you like a port to make it easier for the chemo. No, I didn't get a port. Um, they just hooked me up to an IV every time. I got used to getting IVs, mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why they didn't give me a port, but I guess I'm not. Uh, I didn't. I'm glad I didn't have one. I don't know. Maybe, maybe because. Like, cause you only had like three, was it three sessions? So for my mind, like the first week of the cycle is five sessions. And then the other two weeks is only one session. Um, so it was like five, one, one, and then repeat. Yeah. Maybe it was cause the, for those two weeks where I only have one 10 minute session, then I may, maybe it's not good for me to be walking around with like a port. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really... It's not fun to get poked every time you need a... uh, There's so much poke. I actually did get used to it, though, because like you have to go and get your blood taken, and they poke you, and then you get your IV, and they poke you. And when I was in the hospital, they poked me a million times. And it was like, all right. like I just started yelling, yelling, giving out like a yelp every time they pricked me and i was just like yeah and it, it just like i don't know why it just like helped me like deal with that very small moment yeah I, it's um, funny because i so. i'm like always surprised at myself that when i go now to like any appointment or uh it's more now for like fertility stuff or if i have to get a certain scan where you have to get like an iv i still am like so like ugh, by it, which is crazy because it's the same thing. Like, even though I had a port, I still had to go every week and do the blood test. And like, they would just do that for my arm. So it's like, yeah, I, I should be used to it, but like, I don't know. I just never got used to it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not fun. <laughs> um, so of course, there was like a lot of physical side effects that we talked about, and um, you know, even the mental side effects that you mentioned of just how shitty it was to go through it. Was there anything specific in terms of like mental health that you really noticed, or that you um, work through, or have wanted to work through? Um, one of the things that we've kind of picked up in our conversations with people is that mental health is really not addressed at the hospital, um, and for a lot of people, it's been more of like the longer lasting effect. Uh, than the physical effects in some cases. So I was just wondering what your experience with that was. Yeah, I mean, I guess I can agree because I feel like I haven't really been offered many mental health supports other than like a pamphlet that I got when I was first started going through it. Um, yeah, I mean, I f- there were definitely times during chemo where 
I was pretty like negative in my thinking. Um, and yeah, I think changing your relationship with your body as well has a lot of potential mental health effects. I guess I do feel as though I'm lucky because I've, I do have pretty good mental health. Um, but one thing I guess I wish that I had experienced more is just like being connected with other people who have gone through, through cancer and basically like what we're doing right now, honestly, this is probably good for the process as well, because I get to kind of like unpack everything and, and, you know, I would love to even be connected with other people that you've like interviewed or, or whatever, like finding some sort of community um, because it is hard to talk about and it is hard to talk about with people who know what it's, what it's like as well, or, or it's hard to find those, those people. So, um, but yeah, mental health obviously is like something that is not really prioritized in the Canadian healthcare system. Uh, and there's a lot of like barriers to access. Like you need if in order to access it, you essentially need money. It's not part of our universal healthcare program. So, um, I don't know. I guess I can't say that much about it because I never have, I haven't accessed any, (laughs) any services in that, in that regard. So, um, I guess I, I'm just like lucky. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm glad that you're obviously not feeling like you're set back by that, but it is something that is like unanimous throughout everybody that we've talked to. That you know, the last um, guy we talked to, he also had testicular cancer, and he told us that she was the first person he's ever met that has had cancer around his age outside of the hospital. Um, so we can definitely like mm-hmm. we're happy to connect people, and we're also thinking of getting everyone together at some point, maybe after the first season is done, so we can all kind of hang out in person. And it's both people who have gone through cancer treatment, but also their support systems, whether that be you know friends or family. It would just be nice to hang, especially because everyone's kind of the same age group. Yeah, that would be fantastic. Honestly, like I feel like. You are you. This podcast should be uh, paid for by the government of Canada. <laughs> they should you should for for doing the work, the mental health work that they should be doing. You know. So when will when will you get the sponsorship? I don't know. <laughs> but I did. I did. I was curious to ask about, and you can go into as much detail as you want here because I know you're like your wife isn't present. So um, whatever you feel comfortable talking about, but. Um, she was one of your like primary caregivers or support people. I'm just curious if going through this whole process affected your relationship at all. Um, yeah, I think of like, I think it, in a way it has like made it stronger. Um, it is hard because like, I think, you when you're in a relationship you want to meet the other person as like an equal right um so kind of for the first time in our relationship it was like we're, we weren't really equals there was not an equal division of labor around our house anymore and it wasn't that you know she cooks and i cleans it was like she cooks and cleans and does all these it does everything around our house and including like taking care of me you know so um 
I think it would be hard to continue down a relationship if if that were to be the case for like I can I can only imagine like if it was like years and years and years of kind of like not having that that equality within the relationship for sure. So, but I think because it was a short time, it has like you know it is almost like it's another like chapter of our lives. Luckily, it's behind us and. Um, we can kind of just be like, oh my God, I can't believe we went through that trauma in a way together. So, um, and you know, of course, like it kind of has like affected our relationship, like sexually as well. Um, you know, like we're not able to like be intimate during that time, uh, with chemo. Um, and you know, so we are like, getting back into that that aspect of our lives as well um it's it, it is weird to kind of have a pretty important piece of your relationship is kind of like put on like hiatus so i think that has been hard in a way because like i think you kind of have to actively put in the effort in order to to reconnect with someone like sexually, you know, and yeah, it is, it is something that like we are like working on and working towards. And of course we are like confident that um, we will get that part of our lives back on track. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Cause you, like we had a very similar experience. Avery was like my number one caregiver and there were definitely times throughout it that I, cause he's also very strong, like, like wants to solve the problem. So would constantly be trying to like provide solutions or just, you know, like immediately change our entire diet. And to me, it was just like sometimes a little, like it was amazing and super helpful. But at times I would find myself just resenting being like the one that needed to be cared for, I guess. And it's kind of like a, a loss of control too. Um, and that just affects like every aspect of your relationship, I think. Um, but I do, we did have like an interesting experience kind of after going through everything and it almost felt like we needed to like meet each other again, you know, and like reignite that intimate part of our relationship that felt a little bit like it died. <laughs> so yeah, we definitely yeah. had a very similar kind of, um, experience there i don't know if you want to to say anything about that avery i mean it's it's interesting hearing it from the other perspective from you know you being the the man in the relationship and with your partner because i think for what what it was for me is i felt like i was putting pressure on to like sexually engage when like it was something that like i had needed at that point because i totally agree with what you said what you're saying it's it's this other part of the relationship that is like super important. And for us, it was like just part of how we were like as a couple, like it was when you take that away, it really like exposes like some of like where you are getting intimacy, intimacy from, or like what your love languages are and like what my love languages touch. Like, that's just like one of them. And I guess how, how, how was it for you? Were like, were you physically able, were you feeling like you wanted to engage at that point? Like, how did you navigate to get back to where you are now? Yeah. Um, I guess, I mean, I should say that it's still like is a work in progress. Um, but, um, 
Yeah, it is like it's hard because like I felt like I was like really shy. Uh, in a way, like I didn't feel like, you know, I wasn't f- being very good at like initiating intimacy, uh, especially because like, you know, my body has changed so much. And even just from a standpoint of like not feeling like strong, you know, like I've literally spent like three months in bed losing muscle every day. And, you know, just not like not feeling very like positive about my body. So um, just kind of like trying to build back like the confidence in my, in myself and, and, you know, I guess this is kind of embarrassing, but it just, um, you know, my partner and I, we tell each other that we love each other every day. And recently we started saying that like i love you like sexually i love you sexually like putting that on it and it's kind of like a joke but also you know it's 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 not and uh it's uh just like to emphasize like hey like i still i'm sexually attracted to you you know and and because because sometimes it's harder to express that than than it is um you know, if you're not expressing that through like specifically sex, then, then like you want someone to know that like, you're, you're still like sexually attracted to them. So we have started like saying this and I think it has even in a very subtle way made us like, Oh, like, you know, maybe that will be a easier like way to like entry into being intimate. Um, so so yeah that is i don't know just like a small thing um and and i think what is really important like just to kind of emphasize that example is that it's just it really is about like communication you know and there are parts my my partners and i relationship like we're very like we feel like we can really be ourselves around each other and we've never had to like specifically work on our relationship um in a, in a way that felt like, okay, we're like thinking critically about like what we need to do and what we need to communicate. But now maybe we are being for the first time being kind of like presented with, uh, a challenge, I guess. So, so yeah, just like having to, to be intentional and, and, and communicate, uh, more strongly. That is definitely, it's, it's, it's one of those things where like, you know, when you're getting married or something, you have some older members of your family being like, Oh, don't forget to like, you know, like a relationship is like work, (laughs) you know, but it's not the most romantic thing to compare uh, a relationship to. And, and our relationship hasn't felt like that, but then, you know, it is important to, to put in the work uh, as well uh, when you need, when you need to. So Um, this is kind of a random question, but just from my own experience, like going through everything and Avery doing so much for me during, I kind of came away with it feeling like, and I'm just curious if you have a similar feeling about this, um, or maybe you think about it differently, but I kind of came away with it feeling like, okay, now it's like, if he ever has to go through something, like there's this like bank of care that like, I just know that I kind of like owe him this experience. Um, I'm just curious, like if you you know, what your feelings about that were. 
Yeah, I totally do feel like there's like a debt, I guess, to be paid. But obviously, at the same time, I'm not. It's not like I hope I never have to repay it, right? Because,、mm-hmm. I mean, that I don't want anything horrible to happen、um, for my wife or anyone else. You know, like.、Um, so yeah, like in、uh, like eternally grateful, but hopefully. A debt I'll never have to settle, and I mean the way to I guess repay the debt is to just go back to the relationship where you are like once again just equals and right because that's the goal is to not have to to、uh, be in in bad shape anymore. So yeah, and yeah. I think more maybe more than like a debt in like with a positive lens on it, it was more that like I. I felt like, without a doubt, that if something did happen, I would be there. And maybe I didn't know that before. You know, like we'd never been faced with something this serious. But shit gets real, and you're like, oh, what would I do in this situation? And I think for me, it was like nice to know that he would do it for me, but I also would do it for him. You know? Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's. What being a partner is really right is like going through those really difficult moments and supporting the other person、mm-hmm. as well. So you know, shout out to all the the partners、yeah. who have to go through the um cancer because really it do, it does feel like you are kind of going through it. To, well, you are one hundred percent just like going through it together. And I even read that like some people, because I was kind of wondering about this word like survivor, right? And I re- realized some people who are caretakers or have been the caretakers of people who、um, went through cancer, like they also identify as like survivors as well.、Um, you know, so I thought that was like kind of really, really nice. And there was certainly a time when like. The doctor was like, "Oh, I don't know if you should get treatment today, but like you like, but it was kind of like pushing me to get it." And um, uh, my my wife really just like advocated for me in that moment when I when I felt like I couldn't. So yeah, I totally totally know what you mean and how important it is. I think the concept of identity is such a big part of this journey. You mentioned the caretaker identifying as a survivor, but I wonder how you relate to the idea of survivor, especially when what you're surviving. Or fighting against is your own body. Yeah, I mean, I guess I tried to avoid the mentality of like I am the cancer, or like trying to just kind of separate like I am myself and the cancer, even though it's in my body or is like a part of me. It is like it's like also like externalizing it from like a mental point of view. So you know that's. Kind of, I think there was something that my my wife and I had talked about as well. It's just like trying to take on this、uh, mentality where I'm not responsible for the cancer and and、um, trying not to to、uh, embody it in a way or like become the cancer. I guess、uh, sounds kind of dramatic saying it like that, but.、Um, Yeah, and I I guess like the it is hard. I guess like it is challenging because of our the way we tend to like perceive like、uh, 
what is like masculinity as a culture right like we like there's the the stereotypes of masculinity they're not somebody who's going through chemotherapy right and um it's uh you know it's really so that in a way is challenging i feel like luckily because maybe of my work like as an activist i had at least kind of already grappled with um like gender um it's not even gender theory or anything, but just like gender identity, you know, like it's, it's not like I've even like read any like theory or anything like that. But I felt like even as somebody who is like a cis hetero male, like I have had already reckoned with like some of these ideas of gender identity and, and, you know, what it means to like, not to kind of like go against those, those stereotypes of what, a man is uh or at least how masculinity is presented in culture so i i felt like i was like okay to like deal with that i didn't really feel emasculated or, or anything by the process or the surgery and you know it, it is something that i i just went through you know like we Recently, somebody for, you know, reasons that don't involve cancer was making fun of me because of like live streaming or with something. And then somebody said, like, little do they know, like your balls are so big that like they literally tried to kill you um, because they were getting bigger even. <laughs> and it's like, um, you know, so, you know, I think maybe just again, having a sense of humor about it and 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 realizing, you know, like yeah masculinity is not it's not what culture or like mainstream culture like pushes it as and um yeah just like being vulnerable being open to whatever just your body changes there's even a chance that i could get uh you know testicular cancer again and like lose my other testicle and in which case you know like i there are still like solutions out there whether like you have to take testosterone or have like a prosthetic for um your own kind of like um body image you know and obviously something that's really been in like part of conversations lately is just like um like body dysphoria and body euphoria right so like I think to me, like it's always talked about in the, in the frame of like transgender people experiencing body dysmorphia, but it's like, it's literally something that we all could go through, um, at any point. And, and I mean, a lot of us do even without any medical conditions, you know, like, so, so I think the realizing too, like that could, is a, is a universal experience where what, how we like choose to like identify with ourselves is not necessarily the way that the world kind of like is going to, is going to view us. Um, you know, so going through that, um, it's a, it, it is a, it is a challenge, but like, again, it's something we, in a way we all go through or we all have the, the potential to, to go through. So, yeah, sorry, a bit of a rambly answer, but... <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> how are you feeling now in general? Like, just kind of to leave it off of, like, how are you 
do you feel like you're kind of back to normal, like in terms of how you feel about your body, um, health wise? Yeah. Um, I guess to also just to touch on the mental health issue, just to go back for a moment, you know, like one thing that has been really good for me is like, I had a goal I like, I want to be a content creator. I want to like try to make money from YouTube. And I also stream like every morning. Um, and I felt like there was a time when I felt like I had finished chemotherapy and I was not doing anything with my time. Um, except like kind of like waiting to recover fully. Um, and that part was like really difficult for me just kind of like the waiting to feel better or the waiting to kind of have like purpose in life again and um i i set a goal that i would like that i would live stream every morning at eight o'clock till noon and it kind of has just helped me like have the motivation to like get out of bed in the morning and and have a purpose uh for my life um, so I don't know, maybe from like a mental health thing, it's just like, it's, it's really kind of important to have like a goal, um, of what life kind of like looks like, like getting back to normal and, and, and reestablishing your, your purpose with, of, of your life. And I mean, that's something we struggle with. Um, in general is finding the meaning of our life or the purpose of life. So, but I think it's especially important once you're, you're, you've recovered. Um, so just to, to, and then to answer your question, like, yeah, I do feel like, uh, my, my, I'm back to like a hundred percent energy, you know, I slowly kind of picked up all of my, my jobs again. And, and at first that was really hard. It was like overwhelming. I'm like, oh my God, how do I do this? How do I jump back into this? And, and it was overwhelming, but, um, now, um, I feel like I can, I'm like, oh yeah, I have, uh, a large capacity to do a lot of things. So I, and I, and I have the energy to do it. And, and that feels like really, really great. Like, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm back to normal in a way. So that is, uh, it's a, it's a fantastic feeling and something you, you completely take for granted until it's uh, taken away. Yeah. And it, and it can seem very far out of reach, I think when you're in the middle of, of everything. So being able to kind of make it back there is, is, is a, yeah, a really good feeling. And just to know that it goes on. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, life goes on, and that's the, the most important thing, really. Um, you know. But I think it's amazing that life goes on, but you have also found a way to make it go on in the exact way that you wanted. Like even through having to go through all of this, you were still able to do the streaming the way that you wanted to, and stress out up your life in the way that you wanted to. So that's just like really amazing. I'm super happy to hear that you're feeling a hundred percent energy wise, at least again. Yeah. I mean, it's, I guess it's not perfect. Like I still definitely could, you know, gain some more muscle back and, and be in, in better shape, but it's also winter, you know, maybe come springtime and summertime, I'll be able to work on those, those goals. Um, 
and yeah, just having something I like that you love to do. And I felt, feel like that's what really like kept me going because, um, for my stream, uh, we do the news, like we talk about news and politics and, um, every time I would like read the news when I was going through chemo, there would be like something horrible would happen. And I would be like, Oh, I wish I was streaming so that we could talk about these horrible things that are happening, you know? So, um, I guess, which is like the nature of the news. Um, so it was, it was nice. Cause like, yeah, it did make me feel like there was something I'm passionate about that I needed to return to. Um, I don't know. I don't know if any of your other guests or you does have felt like felt like there was something in particular other than like your other than work, right? Like there has to be more to mm-hmm. life once you get better. Um Yeah, I mean I think for me it really was realizing that like work doesn't matter. <laughs> like I think yeah. I think uh cuz I mean my identity was so tied up in my work and to a point where like I would just feel and I still struggle with this a little bit but feeling like who am I without my work um am I just a waste of space <laughs> like and I think going through cancer really made me realize that like no I'm still like a valuable human being even if I'm not doing this job um or you know I think it's still important obviously to strive for things and but it doesn't have to be like a grind it doesn't have to be this like crazy work grind um it can literally just be like strengthening your relationships with the people in your life or, um, you know, looking for ways to help people in your community or like whatever, keep making, keeping your house cleaner than you used to. Like it doesn't have to be this huge thing. you you can still find value in yourself. So I think that's kind of one of the big takeaways that I had from, from everything. Yeah, for sure. And I is I feel like it's one of those things where like people on their deathbed, they never say, "Oh, I wish I worked harder." But and then it's like you get put on a bed. It might not be your deathbed, but it's like a hell of a bed to lie on. And it's like, yeah, maybe like productivity and work is not the most important thing uh out there. Um and especially cuz like as like young people too, we're like it's like that's kind of the pressure that's get gets put onto us is like you go to university or college and you get a job and you contribute to society or whatever. But like, how important is that really? And, um, you know, or, or it's like, why is it so hard also for our generation to, to meet those kind of like standards that our parents' generation kind of had a much easier time of, of reaching, you know, like it's harder to reach our career goals or own a house or reach our financial goals. Exactly. So we need to give each other and ourselves a little bit of grace, I think. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. We actually, the the last podcast we had, that was kind of the takeaway that he also said was just like for him, it was learning to give himself some grace. Um, and we were saying we can all use some of that. And I completely agree. And I love that that's what we're circling back to now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they should just give our entire generation like a grace 
just be like, you know, we're sorry. We're sorry. Lump sum of money. (laughs) That would be ideal. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yeah, That's right. That would be honestly be great. Things are changing so much. Like imagine if there was a grace period to allow us to like catch up to like what this new reality of life is before we have to figure it out instead of having to do it in tandem. Because you're right, like the world looks like a completely different planet from when our parents were starting their jobs in like the career company that they were going to stay with for 40 years. Like that's just not even remotely close to reality right now. So yeah, grace period would have been nice, but here we are. I know, just thrown right into it. It does seem like, you know, everyone has like their main job and one or two like side hustles. And it's still not enough money, so. Yep. <laughs> um, <laughs> now we're just—we're not even talking about cancer. We're just talking about, um, you know, the economy. Yeah, that's right. But thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. Thank you so much for having me. And before we jump off, if you just want to let people know what your handle is, so they can follow you. Yeah, so you can follow me on Twitch and YouTube. Um, my channel is my homie to Taro. I love that. So yeah, it's a play off of my neighbor Totoro, um, which is one of my favorite animes from my favorite studio animation studio. So instead of my neighbor Totoro, it's my homie with the number two and, uh, my, my middle name Taro. Perfect. <laughs>